greets Mary and says, It's the mother of my Lord. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you carry. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Well, tis the season. Merry Christmas to you, and I'm praying that you're slowing down and really taking in the reason for the season this Christmas. Today we're going to talk about angelic encounters, miraculous conceptions, unexpected visitors, outbursts of praise. It's a fresh look at the Nativity Story with Liz Curtis Higgs. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy Save our sons and daughters Did you know That your baby boy Has come to make you new This child that you delivered Will soon deliver you Mary, did you know That your baby boy Will give sight to a blind man Mary, did you know That your baby boy Will calm a storm with his hand Did you know That your baby boy Has walked where angels try And when you kiss your little baby You've kissed the face of God Welcome back to Life, Love, and Family. Hi, I'm Dr. Tim Clinton. You know, Christmas is much more than a holiday. According to our special guest, it's more than buying and shopping. It's more than cooking and eating. It's more than mailing out cards. It's a season of reflection, of preparation. And I like this. It's a season of renewal. Liz Curtis Higgs is a New York Times bestselling author. She speaks at conferences all over the world, literally. She's the author of more than 30 books with 4.5 million copies in print. Maybe you've heard of her recent work, The Study of Ruth. The girl still got it. Her best-selling series, Bad Girls of the Bible, Really Bad Girls of the Bible, and Slightly Bad Girls of the Bible. Liz has recently written, The Women of Christmas. Experience the season afresh with Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna. She's one of my favorite guests. Liz, welcome back to Life, Love, and Family. Oh, it's such a blessing. And boy, do I love that song. So powerful. Liz, uh, there's something about Christmas. I don't know. It's my favorite time of the year. What do you think it is? Well, you know, as I've studied these women, what I've realized is what we think of as the nativity story is broader than that. It's not just the birth. It's everything that led up to it, and then what happens right after it. It's all part of this big story that, as you said, is full of miracles. I think what's overwhelmed me is realizing that after those silent hundreds of years, about 435 years of silence, where there were no angels appearing, there were no miracles, there's no move of the Holy Spirit, nothing miraculous. And then we catch our breath, because here we go, the story unfolds, starting with the appearance of the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, a man who was in a holy place at the altar of incense. He was in a holy place, Tim, but he wasn't expecting anything holy to happen. Yeah. And here comes this angel. And, of course, Gabriel says what angels really must say the first time they make an appearance before somebody, fear not. Then the next word, Zechariah. That had to set you back. Not only is there an angel, but he knows my name. 
Then he says to him, God has heard your prayer. Mm. Best news ever for believers, that when we pray, even if we feel like it's not getting past the ceiling, God is hearing our prayer and answering our prayers. And, of course, then he says, your wife, Elizabeth, so he knows her name, too, will have a son. The hard part, I think, in life is that God gap between God hears and God answers. Waiting on God peace. Waiting on God. And that's where our faith is built. That's where trust must grow or die. And it happens in that space. It was a long space for Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were old. We don't know how old, but they were old and had never had children. They're righteous people. I love that God says, look, it's not their fault. They've done nothing wrong. This is just my timing. My timing says there's more of a miracle when we wait until it's impossible for man, but possible for God. You know, as I was looking in the story about Zachariah and Elizabeth, and of course you're setting up the Christmas story as we enter here. This is like this beautiful gate into Mary that we're going to go into next. But Zachariah, there was some doubt in him. There was. And when an angel whose gig is to stand in the presence of God, that's where Gabriel is, when an angel comes, listen, <laughs> you know, pay attention, don't disagree with him. But unfortunately, that's what Zechariah does. When the angel says, your wife will have a child, oh, no, that's not possible because I'm old and she's long in years. He immediately found a reason why it couldn't happen. But, you know, I kind of love that because it's where we are. We read in the Word, this will happen. God will do this thing. Here is this promise. And we're already arguing, saying, oh, that's not possible. No, no, you don't know my situation, Lord. Look at this, and look at this, and look at this. And here's Zechariah who does exactly that. The most human thing is he doesn't believe, he doubts. I love that Elizabeth still had that baby. God did not say, oh, you're doubting? Well, then nothing for you. God had his plan. God's plan was going to unfold no matter what. But Zechariah's doubt did cast him as silent for a season. It wasn't punishment. It wasn't God saying, bad, Zechariah, now you've got to be quiet. It's God saying, I'm going to prove to you how really powerful I am. Let me just take your voice away for a season. And some commentators believe he also lost his hearing, that he literally lived in silence for the length of those nine months because he needed to be quiet before God. Uh, and I think it must have been an amazing time, because the first thing Zechariah says when he writes out at the birth of the child, his name is John, and his voice comes back, the first thing he does is praise God. And that tells me what those nine months were spent doing. They were spent in God's presence. They were spent listening internally. If he couldn't hear with his ears, he could still hear with his heart as God said to him, see, I am this powerful. Watch what's going to happen next. Now we're talking about Christmas, Liz. Yeah, we are. Some listening right now are saying, wait a second. What does this have to do with Christmas? Yeah, who's Elizabeth? Who's Zachariah again? (laughs) And a baby named John. Tell us about the connection here. Sure. We think of Luke as our go-to for the Christmas story, but we usually start with chapter 2, in the days of Caesar and so forth. I mean, it all unfolds there. But we've got to back up and find out who prepared the way for the Lord. Well, it was John, who we later know as John the Baptist. 
Elizabeth is related to Mary. Some translations say they're cousins, but they were definitely relatives in any case. And when the angel comes to Mary, that same angel Gabriel comes to Mary, his word of comfort and assurance to her is, even your relative Elizabeth is pregnant in her old age. God can do anything, or in some translations, nothing is impossible with God. So that is a word of assurance for Mary is the pregnancy of Elizabeth. That's why I think we need to look at Elizabeth and find out. Uh, Plus, it kind of ties together the Old Testament and the New, because when you look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, an old couple, she's barren, well, we immediately think of Sarah and Abraham and their story. Mm when an angel also came to Abraham and said almost the exact same words, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, that echo from hundreds of years earlier is important because we want to see the old and the new all tied together through the birth of this baby Jesus. But first, through the birth of this baby John and Elizabeth. When Elizabeth got pregnant, she kept it a secret that fascinating? I don't think I remembered that part of her story. And as I'm going through this in 40 translations and many, many commentaries, it's like she fell silent. And just like her husband, in a way, she was still able to speak, but she stayed indoors. She stayed secluded for five months. We're not told why five months, but I'll tell you as a woman what I think is going on here. I believe that she is waiting for what they call the quickening, the first movement of a baby. We still use that term medically, the quickening. And the word quick doesn't mean fast, it means life. So she is waiting for absolute proof before she steps out and says to everybody, hello, look at this, this is what God has done. And of course, at the five-month point, not only is the baby moving, we can see that she's pregnant. Even someone who, who you don't notice in the early months, by the fifth month, that baby bump is out there, and we know it's the real deal. <laughs> and so I think that was part of that five-month waiting period. There's a connecting of the dots here. Back to the relationship between then Elizabeth and Mary and the babies, okay? They have an encounter together. They do. It's remarkable. Again, it's one of those breathtaking aha moments where Mary, as soon as she finds out that the Holy Spirit is going to come over her and she's going to be pregnant with the Son of God, I'm just trying to get my head around that. She's 12 to 12 and a half years old, Tim. She's so young. I read that. I just marveled at that. I know, but that's when typically a young woman was betrothed the very moment that the family knew she could have children, so 12, 12 and a half. She was betrothed. The betrothal lasted one year, and then she married. So Mary is in that 12 to 12 and a half range by the time the baby is born, not much more than 13. And so here she is, so young, and she gets this news, and the angel says, your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. And so who does she want to see? She wants to see Elizabeth. So she travels south, and this is another aha for me. We kind of picture Mary running down the street to see her relative. But Mary was in Nazareth, little town, less than 100 people, very small. And she's got to get all the way down to outside of Jerusalem. It's a little neighborhood called Ein Karem. She's got to get all that distance. It would have taken her about 10 days traveling by foot. Hmm. And she would have walked. We're always picturing Mary on a donkey. Well, the fact of the matter is her family was poor. Everybody in that little town was poor. If they had one donkey, it was needed. 
she disappears for three months. They couldn't possibly let her take their donkey, let alone afford a horse and no way a camel. That was just for traders. So she's walking for 10 days to get to Elizabeth. When she arrives, she honestly is probably not aware that she's pregnant yet. 10 days? You know, have hardly any symptoms at that point. Mm-hmm. But when she steps into the house, here's Elizabeth to greet her. Oh, she says, and I just love this. She greets Mary and says, It's the mother of my Lord. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you carry. And she does say, My Lord. Now, this baby isn't even born yet. It'll be 30 years until he begins his public ministry, but already Elizabeth has made her confession of faith. How could she possibly do that? How could she even know that Mary is pregnant, except that she's filled by the Holy Spirit? And she sings out, oh, blessed. She sings even before Mary sings. And it's an incredible encounter of these two women who have something unique in common. Of course, only Mary is bearing the Lord, but Elizabeth's baby was miraculously conceived as well. A man was involved, but still, it's God-breathed. It has a, a miracle about it. And so, these two women spend three months together before Mary heads back before the birth of John. During that encounter, there's a verse that says, and the baby, what? Leaped. Yes, I love that. The baby leaped in her womb. Uh, Even as Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, so is her baby. In fact, Gabriel said, your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And so the baby leaps, and Elizabeth specifically says, with joy. Lots of things can make a baby move, cold, sweet. The mother is just in general excited a child can move or frightened. But Elizabeth knows by revelation this child has moved with joy. John the Baptist, a forerunner of Christ. What does that mean? Well, he paved the way, literally. You know, he went about preaching repentance, making a way for the Lord, helping people see he's coming. This day is coming. You need to repent. And, of course, the two of them will then come together, one baptized by the other. It's a remarkable story. And I've been to Israel. I've baptized people in the Jordan River. I've had that incredible experience of being in that place and imagining John and Jesus, these relatives there together. Our special guest today here on Life, Love, and Family, Liz Curtis Higgs. She's the author of The Women of Christmas. We're talking about how to experience the season afresh with Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna. Elizabeth, an amazing story, Liz. The lesson, wait on the Lord. Let's go to Mary now, 12 years old, and it says the Spirit of God comes over her. Adonai is with her. The lesson that you're trying to communicate, I think, to us here is about you can trust God with anything. Take us back into her world again, Liz. Well, a young girl, a poor girl, uneducated, small town, the last person you and I might pick, but God knew her heart. I had a person who follows my Bible study blog say, what if Mary had said no? (laughs) That was never going to happen. God knew exactly how Mary would respond, and he chose perfectly just the right girl. So her response is so quick. You know, we talked earlier about Zechariah's doubt as soon as Gabriel said, your wife's going to have a son. Oh, no, that can't happen. But that's not what Mary said. Mary said one word, actually several words, but she had one question. How will this be since I am a virgin? She only wanted to know how. She didn't want to know why me, when will this happen, where, 
how do I get ready for it? She just wanted to know how. And when Gabriel's response was, the Holy Spirit will come over you, that was sufficient for Mary. She had her answer to how. It will be God. It will be the Holy Spirit. Be it done unto me, as you have said. Let those words come true. That kind of faith takes our breath away. It's why I think for centuries and in all over the world, people revere Mary because of her innocence, her purity, and her faith. She just has this huge ability to trust not just Gabriel, but the one who sent him. And he is kind, as I said, to, to remind her, God can do anything. That word is still for us today. God can do anything. Here's an example. He can make an older woman be pregnant. He can take a young woman who's a virgin and plant a seed in her. This is a God who can do anything. And I often challenge audiences, what is your anything? What is it that you think God cannot do? What do you argue with him about? Where is your unbelief? (laughs) And are you willing to step out like Mary and say, yes, to God? As I was looking at the Christmas story through your writings, Liz, and as we traveled in the scripture with you, I noticed the description of Jesus, that he would be great, the son of the Most High. He would sit on the throne of his father, David, yet he was born in a manger. Talk to us about what it must have looked like or felt like for a child, basically, to be the mother of Jesus. Wow. Well, every mother, of course, looks forward to that birth with fear and trepidation. I think especially the first time we wonder, can I live through this? Will the baby live through this? Is it going to be okay? Just the practical part of it. Surely all of that was in Mary's heart. Though it isn't on the page, we don't see Mary being fearful, Mary being frightened, Mary crying out to Joseph and saying, I don't think I could live through this. You know, all the things that we women have said to our husbands. Her faith, again, carries her all through the pregnancy and right through the delivery. After the huge buildup, getting ready for the birth of Jesus, it's kind of a single line in Scripture, and the child was born. It's amazing to me that God would make it so succinct, but what he's saying to us is, trust me, I've got this. Now, they get to Bethlehem, and of course, people are very unkind about the innkeeper. It's like, oh, why didn't he make room in the inn? Well, the reality is everybody was coming to Bethlehem. We had the census going on. The place was crowded. And it was no shame for them to be in a stable. It isn't what we would choose ever. But for Mary, who lived in a poor house without a whole lot at her disposal, being out there with the animals and possibly with other people. You know, in the nativity scenes, we have no other people, but it's quite likely it was crowded with people as well. Not very private, this birth, but quiet in the sense of the whole world couldn't know what had just taken place in this manger scene. I love that it's the shepherds, the poorest of the poor, the unclean. They were actually despised in that culture. But that's who God said, come see. In fact, let me send a whole host of angels to sing you the story, to prove to you something amazing has just happened. So the shepherds come, and then at some point later, the magi come, the wealthy travelers of the world come. So we get the low and the high. They all bow their knee to Jesus. What a foretaste of what is to come, 
this is just a baby in a mother's arms now, but the, what is to come is beyond our imagining, when the whole world will fall to its knees at the name of Jesus. On the cross, he looks down and says, Woman, behold your son. It's a term of respect, woman. When we hear it in our culture, it's like, oh, you would never say that, woman, but then a term of respect. She knew the story was about him. Oh, yeah, all along. And, and right there, as we talk about at the end of the Women of Christmas, we have a Simeon who comes to see in the temple, sees Mary and Joseph and the babe. And then Anna comes along as well. But first Simeon, and he warns Mary, this is not all going to be good. He will not be liked by everybody. A sword will pierce your heart as well, Mary. So from the beginning, she is prepared for something to come. She can't possibly know what. But there's a bit of sorrow, and of course that's what Mary means. It means sorrow, bitterness even. There's a bit of sorrow right at the beginning of Mary's story, and yet also hope. That's why Anna comes running up at the end, and and she first praises God. That's her first reaction. And then she tells all who long for his appearing that the Messiah has come. And so we get a woman who prepares the way in Elizabeth, a woman who brings the child to birth, that's Mary, and then Anna who takes the good news to the world. Amazing, especially in that culture, but even to us today, looking at the story, amazing how God uses women in the story. That was a remarkable turnabout for a culture that was, frankly, very male-driven. Now suddenly God says, I trust this woman, and I trust this woman, and I entrust this woman to bring this child to bear and to bring his good news to the world. It's such a gift, and it's very humbling to read it now, 2,000 years later, and to understand what God was about then, he is about now, and that is calling us to trust him, to change our lives, and to bring good news. Anna was an elderly woman. Yes, 84 years old. I think the scripture says she was wholly dedicated to God. Something about her never leaving the temple. Liz, tell us about that for a moment. Exactly so. She was a uh, woman of the temple. The court of women had four corners, and often there were apartments in those corners where certain women would be able to live safely and to minister unto the Lord. Of course, they're not going into the Holy of Holies, nothing like that. But they did what they could do, and what Anna could do is she could fast and she could pray. Two disciplines that, if we're really honest, are very hard in our culture because, first of all, nobody claps, nobody applauds. When you're fasting, people don't even know it. Often when we're praying, we're doing it alone. And so these were two quiet disciplines. It says that she was in the temple day and night. I don't think that means 24 hours. She did occasionally eat and she did sleep and so forth. But she lived in the temple and she was worshiping day and night. She was ever about God's business, wholly dedicated to the Lord. She takes my breath away, honestly, year after year, decade (laughs) after decade. Wow. The lesson with Anna, pray until your prayers are answered. And you've got to help us understand Anna and Simeon. When Simeon takes Jesus into his arms, he says, Master, ruler, he's the king over all, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Why was that so significant? Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. 
And I believe that's why Anna was so excited, because when she saw him speaking this truth over this baby, she knew, absolutely, he's the one. The interesting thing about Simeon is now that the child is put into his arms, you got to wonder, is he lifted up like Enoch? Is he taken away into heaven? Does he live another 10 years? Or does his life end with this moment? The thing that's amazing to me is he doesn't care. His life dream has been fulfilled with this child being placed in his arms. And again, he is speaking ahead for what is to come. Um, These were people who had vision. They could see far beyond where they were and looked with delight into what was to come. And these are two older people. For those of us who are, nobody's aging around here, we're just maturing, Tim. We're just (laughs) maturing. For those of us who are maturing, Simeon and then Anna give us an incredible example of how to live for God right through the ages. We know she's 84. We aren't told his exact age. But these are elderly people, but they're still vibrant. They're still watching for God. They're still ready to serve and ready to proclaim. Liz, the takeaway, the final word here, what needs to be in our hearts as we go forward right now? Well, it's all about the Word for me. I think if we can get into God's Word, and that's my whole thing. I go verse by verse, phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word. I want us to really see what's there. Not what we think is there, not what we've seen in a movie or watched on a stage. The actual story itself is so rich. What God is calling all of us to do, just as He did these three women, is come near to my Son. Come and see what I have for him and what he has for you. This Christmas season, make it all about Jesus, just as these women clearly did. Liz Curtis Hicks, her new book, The Women of Christmas. Liz, what a joy to have you. Totally a blessing. A blessed Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He's the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The issue is, do you know him personally? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? You see, this journey in life's not about you, it's all about him. And the sooner you press into him, the more your life will be redeemed. It'll be changed and be blessed. My prayer for you this Christmas is that you would know him 
And if you know him, that you would know him better and that others would see him in you, the reason for the season for our everyday life. Thanks for listening today to Life, Love, and Family. If we can be of help to you, our toll-free number is 855-455-3264 or visit us on the World Wide Web at lifeloveandfamily.net. That website again, lifeloveandfamily.net. Life, Love, and Family. America's number one Christian residential treatment program, Honey Lake Clinic, specializing in addiction, depression, anxiety, bipolar, PTSD, staffed by nationally recognized psychiatrists and psychologists, a team of MDs and 24-hour nursing care, a 600-acre scenic sanctuary of unmatched beauty, Honey Lake Clinic. Most insurance accepted, scholarships available. Phone 844-747-7772, online, honeylake.clinic.